You're listening to Finding Your Genius Zone with Dirk Novell. With the help of successful individuals across industries, Dirk breaks down the unknown parts of every vocation while highlighting the importance of finding a career where you can leverage your natural skills, passions, and interests. Now here's your host, Dirk Novell. Hello, this is Dirk Novell. Welcome to my podcast. I have with me one of my best friends and... Um, Eventually, I'm going to run out of friends, and then I'm going to have to interview strangers. But for now, uh, Steve Lampkin is someone I've known from a really early age. And just to give you a little history, Steve and I, I think we met initially just competing against each other. And we were both um, very involved with athletics. And then ultimately, we ended up together at the same high school. And Steve is just one of my best friends. We, we hung out. Uh, we did a lot together. We played sports together. And he's just a guy that I've always looked up to. He's a, a leader. Uh, he's funny as hell. I mean, he's just got all the, he's got a wide range of skill sets. But today we're going to kind of get into the weeds on the career that he's had. And, you know, getting into sales can mean a lot of different things. You can get into inside sales, outside sales, different industry sales. But when I look and take inventory of all my friends who are in sales, uh, Steve to me is one of the best salesmen I've ever known. And, you know, and we're going to get into that a little bit, but he really kind of lives and breathes it. And in, in a very authentic way, he's very skilled at what he does. So I'm going to stop rambling. I'm going to uh, let Steve kind of introduce himself, talk a little bit about what he does, and then we'll go you know, backwards and talk a little bit about how we got into it. Welcome, Steve. Yeah, Dirk, thank you for having me on. It's it's fun to be part of this initial uh, cohort of interviews. And you're going to have to work really hard to run out of friends. You've, you've, uh, you've got a lot of friends. And so I'm happy to be part of it and um, looking forward to the discussion. Thanks, buddy. Uh, well, you're you're my core. You're my core group. Um, happy to be there. You know things about me. I could never run for politics. Uh, you know too much about me. So let's talk about uh, like if you bumped into somebody, you're on an airplane going on a big meeting and you're, you know, and someone sits down next to you and says, what do you do? How would you answer that? You, you know, I'm pr pretty brief about that just because when I sit on airplanes, I kind of like to be, uh, you know, uh, in my own thoughts, but I, I just say I'm in sales, you know, and if people really want to know more than that, uh, then they'll ask. And, and typically they do, or they want to relate what I do to something that someone else does. But if they, if they ask further, I'll tell them in medical device sales. And I've been doing that now since 1997. Uh, so what's that uh, over 25 years in, in this business in all different ranges of medical device sales, um, from you know uh, endoscopy to you know GYN and uh, cardiovascular and, and neurology, gastrointestinal, and then moving on mostly to orthopedics and spine over the last 15, uh, 17 years. So not only are you in sales, but you've also managed teams of salespeople, correct? Yeah, I'd say most of my time in sales has been in sales management. And and you know whatever the titles are, it's really been middle management. Uh, for okay. the most part. So managing managers has been most of what I've done. I did on my own distribution company for about five and a half years. Uh, and, and in that case, I was an owner uh, of the company, but really just a, a sales manager, right? Managing salespeople or managing managers. Okay. So, I mean, not all of us, but most of us, we're all selling something. What got you into this, this side of the, uh, I mean, medical devices, medical sales, whatever you want to phrase it. Why, why this route? Yeah, well, I so it, I'm going to try to make this a shorter answer than it could be. 
but when I started, when I finished school, you know, like most people, I was looking to know what to do. I love to coach. I obviously I played baseball. I love to coach. And I um, went to my father, who was a career sales guy, and asked him, hey, I, can I borrow money to go back to school? I want to be a teacher and a coach. I want to teach high school and I want to be a coach. Uh, and I already owed him some money, which he reminded me of that fact and says, well, you kind of owe me some money already. Have you thought about sales? And I had sold for vector marketing, cut code knives, uh, for those of you who have graduated <laughs> from college and done that. A great start, by the way. And I'm like, ah, you know, I'm really not that into sales. I really don't think I'd like it. And I don't want to do it. I really want to teach and coach. And he said, well, I, so he made a deal for me. My father is an amazing salesman. Uh, he said, if, if you, uh, I think you should try sales. I think you'd be good at it. And, uh, and I'd like you to try it for a year. And if you don't like it, um, then, you know, you haven't wasted any money. At least, you know, you don't like sales. You've learned a little bit, you know, maybe you've made a little money, uh, but if you don't like it after a year, I'll loan you the money to go back to school and become a teacher. And I said, okay, easy, great. Uh, so it was great advice. Uh, so from there, I started uh, a buddy of ours, Kevin Shrek, who worked at Minolta Business Systems, and he got me an interview there. And, you know, they take people right out of college. And what a great job that is for learning how to sell. Um, so I learned how to sell, right? You, you you just get kicked in the teeth and you uh, you learn how to qualify, how to close, um, how to handle objections and just the raw training that you get. It, there's nothing better than that. And, and I thought of it as a paid internship. And some at some point during that process, it just clicked for me. That I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the hustle. I enjoyed the uh, the face to face interaction, not being in an office all day. And uh, but I didn't really like the transactional side of it. I didn't like the fact that I, every month I went back to zero. I didn't like the fact that I felt like in order for me to make money, I had to kind of say screw someone else. But I, I kind of had to be disingenuous about what their the best value was for my customers. And so I did that for about nine months. And then went to work for a company called Paychex, uh, selling payroll services. And I loved it. I loved that job. I loved the product. Um, we were doing a great service to small businesses. I was working with the, uh, in, the um, accountants to, to help service their clients, so building relationships. And I really loved that. Even though we went back to zero every month, I felt like those relationships I had were the bedrock of a foundation of my my all my sales success. And so I did that for a couple of years. And frankly, Dirk, I would have done that forever. Um, but the money just wasn't as good. And I had a buddy who worked at paychecks with me who went to work medical sales and and it was just the dis the uh, it was just the disparate income, right? That just how much money the medical device guys made versus what I made. And I'm like, well, if I'm gonna work really hard and I'm gonna be good at what I do, I may as well make as much money as I can. So that's really how I got into medical device sales with a company called US Surgical in 1997. Yeah, I remember that. Um so you're saying you're, you're talking about a couple of things like that are really important for the audience to clue into. And I know like if you're 25, four years old or whatever, and you're just coming out of school with a ton of debt, you don't think about these things. But, you know, you Steve, you mentioned twice talking about starting over every month and then, you know, talking about income in terms of being capped or maxed. And I think these are really important things that I love to get in the weeds on because, there's a million flavors of sales jobs. Like I'm in sales, right? I start over every month. I have to hit a lot of singles. Uh, it's, you know, I have friends that can um, sell something and one thing and it makes their income for the entire year. Mm -hmm. So what you started to recognize early on in your career is, hey, I don't wanna start over every month. I don't wanna have to hit a million singles to make good income. Uh, and then eventually you, you found your way into medical sales. So was it just more bigger commission checks or was there like a recurring revenue stream associated with it that was different? Sure. Well, so 
So I guess both. Um, and and let's be clear that no matter what kind of sales you're in, it's all numbers driven, right? So whether you whether you have to make sales every month or you go back to zero, it's the activities that that you do every month and every day that equal whatever success you're going to have in sales. So there's no magic where you know you're going to get a, a reoccurring income every month, right? That that those jobs don't exist. Um, okay, but um, but going back to um, your your question about uh, how I got into medical device or beyond money. I, so one of the interview steps that we took with U.S. Surgical is they put me in surgery, and they put me in surgery with a senior rep, and I was in the the operating room theater, and they, the surgeon was using our products, and I just I was blown away. I was blown away that here I am with no medical training as a salesperson, three feet from this patient with you know, basically with their belly cut open. And they were using these products and this rep was walking this doctor how to use these products. And it just blew me away. I thought this is the coolest thing. If I can do this uh, and make exceptional money at the same time, this would be a home run career for me. And I would love to do it. Uh, At the time I was working for paychecks. Right. And so I was on the manager track and I knew always knew I wanted to be in management or leadership. I just like to coach. And so it was, it was worth it for me to start over in a new career, if I had the opportunity to do something that I really loved and, and then would get paid for it commensurate to my effort, you know, what I put into it. So, yeah, I, I went right to kind of the, the money and I know it wasn't all about the money for you. And what's interesting, as well as I know you, I don't really, I don't think we've ever had this conversation, but like the fact that you saw this situation where you're almost like a doctor and a sales guy mixed in one, where you're, you're, you're in this intimate environment, um, helping people it's you know i've always thought of sales kind of in a different capacity but i can understand the draw i'm just curious like if sales wasn't in it did you ever like think about being in the medical like you ever think about being a doctor or something like that or is that something that's inside you you know i didn't really think about that until i got into medical device sales and i saw the these surgeons operate and like, oh, that would be really cool. It'd be really cool to not just help people by <clears throat> pointing out how to use an instrument that's being uh, used in the procedure, but all, but actually doing the work. Um, you know, at that point, obviously, I, I didn't, so I didn't like school. Uh, I can admit that now. Uh, I didn't like, I, did, I didn't like going to class. I, you know, some people love school. I hated it. And the so- teachers, teachers loved you though. So don't, don't. Yeah, that's so facetious. So <laughs> yeah, that's probably a different podcast, but- it um, is. But I, I hated school. And so so the, for me, it was I have, would have to go back to school and there's no way I wanted to do that again. Uh, I like the freedom of, do, of you know sales. That was one of the things that really appealed to me is the freedom that you get you know through sales. As long as you're hitting your numbers and as long as you're doing a good job, you can pretty much write your schedule. And I really enjoyed that. Yeah, I mean, this is this is great. You're talking about that because what we really get into on this podcast are the components of like the things you need, the non-negotiables in your career. And like, I'll just give you an example. When I was coming out of school, I I got into technology sales, but I didn't realize how important, like, like for me, I don't want to travel like work-wise. I want to be home, waking up every morning with my kids, going to bed, coach. I know you're a coach, but like, I didn't realize at that young age, how important like control of my schedule was. Mm -hmm. Um, And freedom, I, I find that often really an important part of people, like it's what they need in sales. So Freedom was one. Is there, a, you know, income potential probably is sure. you know, the harder you work, you know, you're not capped on your compensation. Are there other kind of maybe things that 
our audience might not just clue into right away that like that you've realized over the years that come with your job that you love? Well, so I, I'm uh, there, there are certain, so there's, you know, different attributes that people have, right? There's, um, and I think separating those things, and this is something I learned while working as a manager at US Surgical is there's different, there's talents that people are hardwired with. And then there's, then there's skills, right? Skills are things you can learn, uh, things that you can develop by listening and watching others and reading and whatnot. And, and the talents are things that are hardwired within you. And I think what I realized is that my talents were suited well to sales. And what I mean by that is I mean like things like energy. Some people have it, some people don't. I, I tend to have, as you know, a lot of energy. Sometimes that can be good and sometimes not so good, but I do have a lot of energy. Um, response to negativity is actually a talent. Some people do have it, some people don't have it. And there's various you know ranges in between, obviously. Um, sales, or social awareness is a skill. I, I tended to, to be able to have that. Right? I could tell when people were being irritated with me. It didn't mean I changed necessarily, but it, I could tell, you know, I could get that feedback. Empathy is a talent. So those are things that I felt like suited themselves well to the job. And, you know, maybe if I wasn't doing well in the job, I would have said, well, hey, I, you know, I need to find something else. But because I was, I seemed to be doing well, and because I had some of those talents, and I had some really good managers, and I, I don't want to overlook that, because there's a lot of people in my life that were excellent at teaching me how to sell. And I wasn't necessarily the easiest student early on, because I thought I knew it all. But they thank goodness, had the ability to break that down in me and basically show me what I didn't know and, and force me to have a learning attitude. And that was something that took me a while. But once I did that, Dirk, and I was listening and I was um, had this intellectual curiosity uh, to learn more, I, I think that that's what did it for me is, is the more I sought knowledge from others, the, the better I seemed to get and the, the more successful I was. And then you know, once you discover that, I think in any job, but especially in sales, it's, it's ex exponential growth from that point forward. So I'm curious. So can you give me, I mean, I don't know if this is hard to do. Can you give me an example? Like, cause mm -hmm. like you're a confident guy, I'm a confident guy. Like, and there's times where someone tells us to do something and I mean, maybe, oh yeah, maybe it's insecurity for me, but like, I, I tend to think, Hmm, who is this dude that's telling me you know, maybe I think I can do it better than him or I can, you know, I'm better in sales than this guy. Is there a moment or anything that you can put your finger on where you were confronted with a different way and it maybe didn't threaten you, but it maybe disturbed your peace a little bit, but Absolutely. then you, but you laid into it and you, uh, you were open to it and then basically improved. Yeah. So I, I remember uh, very vividly. So it was, <clears throat> excuse me, the year 2000. You remember, I just moved to Chicago from Seattle because there have been some corporate changes and in order for me to move up in the company, which was tough to do, I had to move. So I moved to Chicago and uh, I had a new boss. His name was Pat Fabian, former uh, professional hockey player and, uh, and a really amazing sales guy, an amazing sales leader and just had the means to break it down. I, I valued his advice and his uh, directions so much, but not in the beginning. In the beginning, he was kind of a, he was kind of abrasive and, you know, I'm can be abrasive. And so it's like, well, you know, here's two abrasive guys going after it, but I knew, I knew that in order to be successful and to get my goals, I had to work with this guy. And so we, you know, I thought I was a pretty good sales guy. I thought I knew how to sell and ask questions and uncover needs and handle objections and whatnot. 
And so we went and do a couple sales calls. And after the sales calls, you know, where we may have had some success, he would say, he would ask me some questions and he would uncover the, the, the fact that I didn't necessarily get to everything I needed to get to, or I wasn't prepared with everything I needed, or there was an objection that stumped me a little bit. And my response to it wasn't, um, you know, wasn't as good as it could have been. And so he introduced a pre-call plan to me and we were, and he had introduced this pre-call plan to me. And, uh, and I, it, it's awesome. And I'd be happy to share it with your listening audience. It's very simple. Some of them are really complex and, you know, there's just a, bun a bunch of them, but this one's very simple and it's very succinct. And it, it, uh, and it's, it's so, so he taught me this pre-call plan. And then the next day we were together going in on a sales call and I didn't do the pre-call plan. And so we're walking into this, we're, you know, driving up to the sales call and he says, well, okay, where's your pre-call plan? And I'm like, well, you know, I didn't do it. And he goes, well, we went through this yesterday. Why didn't you do it? And I said, well, because, you know, I didn't, you know, a million different excuses. Right. And he basically chewed me out at that point and in an, in an old professional way and said, we're not going on another sales call unless you have a pre-call plan written out for every single sales call you go on. And so I'm like, okay, okay, let's do it right now. Real, and so we did it in the car, wrote down the pre-call plan, had a lot of success on the call. We got out. And of course he reminded me how much success we had because of the pre-call plan, which is the right thing to do. And since then I've, I've just never looked back. And so I will say that I was successful with the pre-call plan because he drilled it into me, not because it was anything that I did other than finally submitted to the fact that I needed to learn this process and I didn't know it. Yeah. And so when I'm listening, like you were naturally interested in becoming better, but you were open to it. And like, I mean, I think that's part of the whole genius zone is like you're in your flow. Like you're, it's not like a competition like sports, but it's almost similar. Like you're just feed me, feed me, give me better information. Like you're trying to improve your craft. And I think you take a lot of pride in what you do, which I think ultimately separates you know, I see people in sales get by and I see people that blow people away. And it's it's those kinds of desires that you're talking about, the wanting to be better. And I think the reason I'm talking about it so much is I just think it's really important that if you want to get into sales, especially a competitive sales environment, that it's got to be real. It's, you know, I mean, it's you've got to have it in you. And obviously, you know, I've always watched you and you have it in you. And I think it's crucial because you can only fake it for so long. Well, and, and so sales is one of those professions, Dirk, that that you can actually have success with not being good at it. So I'll give you an example. And, and I use this with young people who want to get into sales. Uh, and I tell them they, they want to get in medical device sales because the money is good. And it is it, not as good as it used to be, but it's still good. And it's a relationship business and you don't go back to zero every month. And so people are naturally drawn to that. And in our business, sometimes people will hire people without sales ability. Uh, who are, you know, good social skills and whatnot, and they'll teach them the product and they'll stick them in a room. And they're like, well, yeah, but I can make, you know, 60 grand over here or 80 grand over here doing this. And my advice to them is go sell business to business for a year, get your teeth kicked in for a year. It's the best teacher. And, and I always use this analogy, which is in any other profession, think about an electrician or a plumber. No plumber or no person would ever say, you know, take a job as a plumber without knowing how to do it, without knowing how to plumb, just because they're good with their hands. Well, I can fix cars. I, you know, I can be a plumber or, you know, I can, um, you know, work a remote control car. I can be an electrician. No, no, no. 
you have to actually go back and learn the basics. And so they have to be an apprentice and, and there's a very structured process. Sales is one of those only businesses or only professions where you can actually take a job and you can actually have some success without really knowing what you're doing. But that success will always be limited or short term unless you go and learn the basics. And you can't do that by reading a book. You can get better, um, but you you can't get as good as you can be by unless you go and do take a really good down the street sales job, outside sales job, if you want to do outside sales, right, where you have a territory, and you've got a manager, and you've got a quota, and you've got a product that you got to sell, and you're not having people come to you, you're having to go to them. It is the best learning experience. I, I I will say that the one thing I'm so glad I did is to do the background that I did, going selling copiers for a year, going and selling payroll for two more years on top of that. It really helped me develop a foundation of sales skills that mesh, happened to mesh, mesh well with my talents to allow yeah. me to be successful and have fun. No one wants to get their teeth kicked in forever, but to do it initially, I think is beneficial, you know, in sales. Yeah, I mean, you're also willing and able to get your teeth kicked in and not cry about it and run away, like, like bring it right after a while, it's less and less. But like, I think you, you know, have to have thick skin getting into sales. And Steve's also talking about outside sales, inside sales, you know, there's sales where you get paid monthly, you start over, there's sales where you like a financial advisor, commercial insurance, you build a book of business, mm -hmm. uh, recurring revenue. And I, I think it's really important to like have a vision or insight into the sales you think you want to get yourself into and understanding the compensation that goes with it. So medical sales, how is that like, yeah. walk us through, are those, are those, okay, so you're selling to, I mean, I, I'm just throwing words out, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're selling to a doctor, for example. Mm -hmm. And let's just say he gets, he's really into a device that you have. Is that a stick sticky relationship that lasts years and years and years, or in a is it a nine month relationship? How does that work? Sure. So so medical device sales is considered a it's more of a lifestyle than it is a job. Um, these so especially let's take spine and orthopedics as an example. Um, you may have as a sales consultant or rep, you may have three or four surgeons, four or five surgeons that are your customers. Uh, in orthopedics and spine. I spent most of my time in spine. And and you are 100% commissioned. And so you're you're spending, you know, two, three, four, five, six hours a day with these surgeons in the operating room. And the best way to think about it from a job responsibility or profession is that you're like their caddy, right? A golfer shows, a golf, say Tiger Woods shows up to the golf course. He doesn't have his bag with him in his shoes. And he doesn't have all the mark, markings and yardage laid out. He shows up with some idea of how he wants to approach the course and the caddy's there with his bag and his club and, and the, you know, energy bar that he likes. And he's there, you know, as soon as the, the golfer thinks about, okay, what do I want to use here? How much he's already got the yardage. He's already got, these are the things you want to avoid, right? He knows that golfer. It's the same thing with these surgeons. And, and it, it relates to not just the relationship in the OR, but outside the OR as well. Like these surgeons become some of my best friends, right? We go take vacations together. Um, my kids and their kids are friends. And so it's great because you're, you know, these are very smart, educated people and they have, you know, good vacation spots and they, you know, they, they live the good life and all that is great. And that's part of the benefits of being in medical device. Some people don't like that, right? Some people want more of a transactional type of sale where they don't want to be, um, 
friends with their customer, right? They want to be able to shut it off. And that and that's not necessarily medical device sales in the operating room, right? There's other types of sales where you can do those things right. and, and be completely fulfilled in doing those things. I will say that the one watch out for this is that when you're in the operating room as a medical device rep, and, and this is specific to that industry, you it's easy to get inflated. It's easy to feel like you're important. Um, because the doctor is telling jokes to you and you're, you know, leaning on him or her, uh, you know, for your, for your income and, 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 you know, everybody else in the room is making a lot less money than you. And they're all, you know, it's easy for them to get resentful for this relationship that you have and this money that you're making. Well, why is he making all this money? I'm doing all the work. Right. And so it's really important for medical device reps and, and something that everybody screws up with at one point or another to start to think that they're more important than, than anybody else. And you have to be the least important person, not just in that room, but in the hospital. Like the janitor of that hospital, the guy who cleans the rooms, the woman who you know sterilizes the instruments, they're more important than you. They're more there. They, you need to make sure that they love you. You need to make sure that you're a service to them. And a lot of salespeople get a big ego in medical device and they drive their fancy car and they don't realize that they, you know, put on their fancy suit and they, you know, they're leaving that in the room and people get resentful for that. And they just don't know. They won't know that until they lose the business. And all of a sudden they're like, well, why? What happened? You know, I was doing a great job servicing the business and, and they've got a new rep or they've got a new company. And part of it, and you may never learn this, is because they just didn't like you because you got too big and you got too important and your ego got too big. And so that's a big thing in medical device. And it's tough for a lot of people because you make a lot of money. Not as much yeah. as you used to. Yeah, no, this I've never even heard this. And this is really interesting to me. So I mean, just kind of throw a couple questions along those lines. Like, do they, do these sales guys think they're bigger deal than the actual head surgeon? Well, so you're, it's easy to not do that, right? Even though under your breath, you may think, oh, I could do this better than them. It's e because you do so much training, right? You train so many surgeons and you as a rep see so many surgeons do this operation, Surgeon, and once they're done with training, they don't really see other surgeons do the operation. So I have the luxury as a, as a rep of seeing five different surgeons do the same operation. And I have to be able to give advice to the surgeon based on what I know might work best with my instrument. And here this guy's gone through, you know, four years of medical school, six years of residency, two years of fellowship. And now this guy with a you know bachelor's degree in social work is telling them how to operate on their patient, right? So you so you really it's easy to be careful with that. It's tougher to be careful with the staff in the room. Uh, but you learn it. Once you make a mistake, you learn it quickly. And if you're lucky enough to discover it before you lose that account, right? Or before you make a crucial mistake or a fatal mistake. Well, that's so interesting. I mean, it's the same thing. Even if you're at a bar or a restaurant and there's a guy that's being a jerk to the waitress, I mean, mm. you know, it, it, that's, it, you just don't do that. You know, you just treat people the way that you want to be treated. What about the egos? I mean, I'm not talking smack against doctors, but a lot of doctors stereotypically have big egos. Um, and, how, is that hard? I mean, I know you're a confident guy. I mean, what, what, how do you handle those situations when you're dealing with a doctor who thinks he's God or she's God? Yeah. So, um, you, 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 with, de you know, deft touch, um, you, you, they are in that room. 
Yeah, that's what you like. They are in that room. I mean, forget the religious affiliation of what you said, but I mean, in that room, they are the president, they are the CEO, and in everybody there is is beholden to them. And so it's again, when you're in the operating room, it's easier. When you're at the three hour dinner, when you've asked all of the personal questions that you can ask about this doctor and his family and his you know favorite sports team and his hobbies and all those things. And the doctor hasn't asked you a single question about you because he frankly just doesn't care. And, and you're just stroking their ego for the three, you know, four. It, it, that can be, it can be challenging, um, but it's what you do to build the relationship because they walk out of there and they either continue ordering your product or they start to order your product or they're willing to help you and get their colleagues to order more of your product. In medical device, it's what you do. Um, some people aren't good at that. And and no, you know, no one necessarily likes it, but some people, and you call it schmoozing, whatever you want to call it, it's it's really taking a genuine interest in in your customer and helping them accomplish their goals by serving their needs. And as long as you keep it there, then you're able to get through, at least me, I'm able to work around some of those um, you know, dissatisfactions, let's call it, of of the job and what it entails of being a lifestyle. Yeah. I mean, it's so many careers, you got to read the room, you know, I mean, even in, when you're dating, you got to read the room. I mean, you got to just have that emotional intelligence. And I know you have it. I think I have it. Um, it's, it's important. I want to get into a little bit. Um, so does a, a client, a doctor that's carrying your device or using your device, is that, I mean, in the, is there an average time frame relationship? I mean, is that sometimes lasts forever? And, sure. and then getting into the weeds of as far as how are you compensated by that? Not like what you make, but like, is it so many devices they buy or use or lease per year? Yeah. And how does that work? So, so different for different products, right? Uh, say for my uh, first job with U.S. Surgical, uh, we had contracts with hospitals and they would order the product in advance and keep it on the shelf. Um, we weren't in the hospital, in the operating room quite as much, maybe, um, one out of every four or five cases the doctor does because the device is pretty simple and the staff knows how to use it. Um, so you, you get paid every order that they make. You get maybe a small salary, more of a draw, and then you get paid um, monthly based on an achievement of quota. Usually it's not a, a percentage, but sometimes it is 2%, 3% in those types of jobs with a salary. In spine and orthopedics, in trauma, also implant sales, you're usually 100% commission. And you get paid when the surgeon uses the product. So you bring in a bunch of products for that case and whatever the surgeon uses, you write up a bill, give it to the hospital, and then they give you a purchase order. You give that to the company and that's how you get paid, a percentage of that. And usually in orthopedics, general rule of thumb, it's about 10% of the total billings. So what happens if you have a product that's just so badass that they only need it one time in 10 years? I mean, it seems like the compensation gets better when there's volume, but what if it's, um, you know, really expensive piece of equipment, uh, yeah. or, or so maybe capital it's not, equipment. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there's capital equipment. That's a whole different, um, um, segment of sales, right? So there's a ton of capital equipment in, in the hospital and so much so that the capital equipment companies don't really look for device salespeople and the device sales companies don't look for capital equipment people. They're completely different sales cycles. And so selling a x-ray machine or selling a CT scanner or selling a, you know, beds, right. Or endoscopy equipment, 
all those things are done on a capital purchase cycle. And, and so that sales consultant has to be in tune with the hospital, all their hospitals, capital purchasing cycles in order to get their product in in time, get it reviewed within the cycle. Um, and then it usually comes down to like a week period where, okay, we're making decisions on CT scanners this, this week. Um, get all your surgeons to advocate for your product. And, you know, they're going to make a big capital purchase of, you know, a million, two million, three million dollars. And you get paid a percentage of that. That's, you know, those types of jobs you'll have, you may do four or five deals a year, but they're big deals. And when you get them, they're like whales, right? In our business, which is the medical device operating room implant business, it's more like you said before, singles and doubles every day, okay. you know, more doing three or four cases a day um, or, you know, your team doing three or four cases a day. Most of the, most of the, in the device world these days, because the income or because the prices have come down so much with managed care, uh, most of the sales are on teams, right? Where they'll have different levels of professionals, service people, um, people that run the equipment back and forth, and then the actual salespeople who don't spend as much time in the operating room, they're more business people, right? Trying to get new customers and new clients and, and negotiating deals with hospitals. Okay. Does that, so does that answer your question? It does. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So let's just take your job specifically. Kind of walk us through like what a normal, I don't want to say day, week, whatever, like if you take a piece of pie and, you know, is 50, 60% of your time in the operating room with doctors? So in, in my, so right now I'm consulting. So right, right now, um, I'll, so I'll take you back to what take I was doing yeah. just previously to this. And I was working for a company called Presidian and we had a synthetic bone graft substitute that we sold through the Johnson and Johnson Salesforce. They ended up buying us. And so I am where I am today. But, um, but at that time I was spent probably 75% of my time on the road doing, doing trainings for the sales consultants who have a lot of different products that they can sell. I want them to focus on my product and in, in selling our technology. And so I would spend time with them in the field. I would help train them and I would, um, you know, trying to sell them to get me in front of their surgeon customers so that I can do sales presentations and get them to commit more business to my product line. So really, it's uh, it's a lot of travel. Uh, okay. I was a hundred I was a hundred k on Alaska, you know, last year, and and that's not easy to do, right? Just a ton of travel in the field, a lot of hotels, early in the morning, seeing that doctor whenever you can see him, doing lunches, dinners, you know. That it's 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 that type of a grind. Yeah, no, I mean you're one of my closest buddies, and I, I'd call you, and you'd be in you know Detroit or wherever. I mean, different strokes for different folks. I couldn't do that personally. I, I don't like to travel, like unless it's with my family on vacation. I do like getting away with the fellas, maybe go playing golf or something. But um, that's that's something that you have to understand. Like, you know, is that a lifestyle? And again, I'm, it's not a negative. It's just different, and you have yeah. to you have to be prepared for what you're getting yourself into. Um, so I'm a little confused on something. And again, you got to dumb it down for me, Steve-O. But um, okay, so you, you're Presidian. You were employed by the company that ma manufactured this equipment. That's right. right. Okay. And so then now you're traveling across the country to go train salespeople. These salespeople aren't actually part of the same company. Yeah, so we had a licensing agreement with with their company that they got paid for selling our product as well as other products, but our product was one of those products in their portfolio. 
So you can be a sales guy that's not employed by the actual manufacturing uh, manufacturer of the product. You're just, listen, hey, I'm a sales guy. I'll sell this, this or that. Just I'll sell the best product out there. But being a sales guy doesn't necessarily tie you to a manufacturing company. No, there's all sorts of different products. You can represent products to distributors, which I, I had my own distribution company. And we had manufacturers, reps that would come out and ride with our reps, which we would take advantage of to because they're the experts on the product versus my sales consultants having to you know, be responsible for, you know, selling the product, you know, handling objections. And because you get very limited opportunities with these surgeons to get your product considered. So you want to put your best foot forward. And usually the best foot forward in the medical device world is the manufacturer's rep. Now, some companies are their own manufacturer, Johnson Johnson, Medtronic, uh, Inspine, Nuvasive, Globus, um, Striker. They're their own manufacturer, but they also then partner with third-party companies with niche products that they don't have in order to fill their bag out and create revenue from their uh, from their teams that are already in place. So, okay, not to be redundant, but why wouldn't you just bypass these sales guys and go directly to the hospital? Because you're the guy who knows most about this product. Yeah. You can sell better than they can. Is it because they have the relationship and you don't, or is it just hard to scale that way? Yeah, so, so to, it's hard to scale. It's expensive, right, to go direct. Um, but really two things, they have the relationship, which gives you the access to the customer, and they have a contract with that hospital that your product can be just placed on that contract. So you don't have to renegotiate T's and C's and you know, terms and conditions, and, and you don't have to invoice or all those things. And a lot of the hospital business now is run through group purchasing organizations like HCA, uh, Providence uh, here in the Northwest. Um, Ascension is a big hospital group, uh, Texas Health Resource. I mean, there's just these huge hospital groups that are 35, 40 hospitals. And those contracts are tough to get on, especially if you're a smaller manufacturer. So like, let's just say you have a really great product. I mean, you also have to, you're, you're reliant, or maybe that's the wrong word. You're, you're affected by, let's just say there's a huge increase in the cost of plastic or metal or whatever the, you know, the materials are for your, you know, I, I'm just glass. I don't know, whatever. Um, so you also probably have to juggle that part of it. Like, you got to make sure your product is a plus quality, right? But there's probably mm -hmm. at times where they products, maybe the quality diminishes or they fail. Like, do you have to deal with that? Or is it always a consistent product? No, I mean, products go on back order. Certainly products go on back order. Uh, there are issues with medical devices. So there's a big medical device reporting structure in place through the FDA, where if, if one of your product manufacturer or malfunctions in the operating room, you have to file those reports. And we're very diligent about that, obviously. Um, not all companies are, okay. truthfully, but but we always were very diligent about that. Um, there's definitely, uh, with, with COVID, we had a lot of supply chain issues. And so, no, you have to deal with those things, move product around from one territory to the next in order to fill those orders and or to, you know, meet the surgery. Very rarely would you ever, ever cancel a surgery, but there's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes to get products where they need to be. Um, you try to, those, those are really tough because it, it's tough enough to get the surgeon to want to use it and to get on contract with the hospital. And now you've got a shortage of inventory or you've got a back. It, those are tough things to overcome, but you just do it. You know, you just, you just find a way to persevere and try to keep a positive attitude because there's a million other products that surgeon or that hospital can use if you make it difficult on them. So it really is all on you to make that happen. Do doctors or physicians ever get, I'm trying to think how to articulate this, 
political, like, Hey, where's your product made, you know, or absolutely. I like, I only want to support products that are made, you know, here. Does that happen? It, it, it does. Or who, what surgeons do you have that are also using your product? Right. Uh, oh, I don't like that guy. He might've trained at a different place or I don't, I don't like her the way she, you know, presents on this product. And so there's a lot of politics in it. Um, yeah. Not necessarily the politics you would think of with regards to, you know, Republican and Democrat, but a lot of politics and how surgeons see themselves and then the products that they use and who they want to support. So getting to the sale, like, let's just fast forward and like, what is it about you, Steve? Like, I know you have a lot of range of skill sets, but if you were to try to say, this is, this is it, this is kind of my edge. This is what separates me from the pack. What would you say, like, and the reason I ask this is because I, I want people watching this podcast to think about their own edge. Because I had, a, for example, a, a great podcast yesterday with a coach, Bruce Brown, who is very involved with the local sports scenes and coaching and teaching. And he, and he talked about, you know, a lot of times like at UCLA, for example, you get 11 guys recruited. And what happens when talent meets talent? You got 11 dudes in there that all play the same position or close yeah. to what separates, you know, and then he talked about finding your edge. Like, what is your edge? Well, I think so, you know, kind of like what, what's your, um, why your greatest attribute, which should also be your greatest, uh, difficulty, right? So that's often the case. Um, I would say that, that mine, and I mentioned energy earlier, um, Will you know willingness to go the extra mile and and level of energy? I'd say that's probably one of the one of my um, strong suits, but it's also it can be a weakness, right? I can burn people out, including my customers, by pushing them too hard or too fast, uh, or having a higher sense of urgency than they may, you know, and and not taking the time to really understand what their needs are and and how they want to move through the sales process. So I would say that, that, uh, that energy is one. And I would say focus is another one. Um, I, if you give me a, a, a product to sell, or you give me a problem more like a problem, a strategy that we need to come up with, um, I have a tendency to get really deep. I love that getting really deep into a situation in order to understand all the nuances behind it, be able to handle every objection, be able to present it in a million different ways, understand all the different proof sources so that whatever a surgeon would throw at me during a sales call, I would be able to handle that in a in a way that made them feel comfortable moving forward with my with you know a buying decision for my product. Yeah, no, I. I'm imagining if we pulled a hundred doctors that you've worked with and asked them, what was the reason you chose Steve? I mean, you care a lot. I mean, you can, you can't fake that. Like you really are prepared. And like, I always want to give people that work hard my business. Like, I don't care if I even like you or, but like if you're working hard yeah. and if I ask you something and you don't know, and you say, I don't know, but I'll get you. I mean, well, maybe no. I can help with this because I, I think that most salespeople think that people buy from people they like. And that's true to some extent. You'll never buy from someone you don't like. Let's put it that way. But it, the most important thing is not what they think about you, but what they think you think about them. And so if you are prepared and you know your stuff and you've done some research on them and you understand what's important to them and they think that to you, they're really, really important. That's usually the, the best thing or the best position you can put yourself in is to, to make sure that they know that to you, 
they're the most important person in, in your life at that, at that particular time when you're interacting. Yeah, that's, that's gold right there. I'm going to leave it at that. I think that's really, really good advice. Um, let me just focus on not to say anything negative, but like, you know, you have two sons and a daughter, let's just say one wanted to follow in your footsteps. Like, what is it like, what caught you off guard? Like, you're a really smart dude, you walk into a room, you know, you can read the room, you kind of know what's going to, but like, what surprised you in a negative way? Like, hmm, I didn't see this coming. Uh, yeah. And again, not every job's perfect, right? Uh, maybe it's the traveling and missing birthdays or holidays or whatever. But what what would you caution somebody or just to be really prepared and crystal clear on what they're getting themselves into? Something you don't like about the biz? Well, I, I think that it's um, you. Let's see what makes someone successful in this business can also be what what is their downfall? And I mentioned the ego thing earlier, um, that achievement drive. And, and that's one thing I really look for when I'm hiring people or, um, you know, when I'm working with people that did how, how bad do they want to be successful? And so you can meet someone with excellent skills and, and talented people um, that don't necessarily have that achievement drive and, and they'll, they won't be as successful or they won't have success or they'll, there'll be a drain on you. And so, um, you know, I think the the one thing that surprises me is, is in this business still is how many people think that they can get by with skill alone. And they, and you really need that desire to break through because there's so many obstacles and there's so many, like you said, there's so many other smart people. There's so many other solutions and other companies and you really have to be committed to, to breaking through those barriers, no matter what it is, even if it means you have to completely rethink your approach in order to be successful. Um, that is that is what it takes in in the business, and, and you you just can't get by on talent or skills. You, you that achievement drive is so important for success in sales, and 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 I see it in you, Dirk, too. I mean, you you've reinvented yourself so many different ways and different times in the business that you're in because that's what it's forced you to do, and yet you're still very successful in what you're doing. It's a really tough business. But you have to continue to to be able to drive now, whatever your motivation is. Yeah. Maybe it's your family, or maybe it's you, you know, your your um you've got a mortgage payment, whatever it may be. Uh you, that achievement drive is really key. And and it never fails to impress me. Hmm. Thank you. Um, back at you. So I'm gonna ask, I mean, that's that's really good information. I'm gonna ask again in a different way, but what don't you like about your industry or your career like and it's okay no one's gonna oh well so okay i misread the question so so as far as the medical device side the yeah. business is it's a race to the bottom so we're, we're coming up against managed care um there the government is ratcheting down on their payments to hospitals and so all of the products we used to sell the prices are going down and as the prices go down the job that we have where we used to get a surgeon to be able to say yeah i'll use it they're using it on the next case now the surgeon says, yeah, I'd like to use that. You got to go through three or four committees in order to get it on contract or in order to get it approved. You work to get a product on contract, you still have to go through those committees in order to get it approved. Now, in a lot of ways, you have to get that product approved for that specific case. So it's not just that the surgeon can use it whenever they want. They have to actually get it approved for each case they use it on. And, and it's just, it's a it's a grind. And we work our way through it. but 
that's something that obviously is a lot less fun about my business now than it used to be. Yeah, that's, I, I had no idea. That's really interesting to me. The other thing that I've been incorporating into my podcast, and I'm fascinated by this, and I'm not an alarmist, like, you know, oh my God, it's going to take over the world. But I'm really interested in AI and artificial intelligence and how it's going to replace a lot of jobs. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I have no doubt that there's going to be a lot of high-end jobs uh, that are gone. Uh, how, how, do you ever think about AI as it pertains sure. to your industry? Sure. There's a lot of AI with, with regards to how patients are treated and how the technology interacts with the surgeon in the operating room. For example, taking a, um, taking a CT scan and overlaying a surgeon's uh, uh, surgical plan and then what approach they want to take, what implants they want to use, and being able to feed that system into artificial intelligence or machine learning to to say, hey, okay, for this patient, based on this CT scan, based on the products that you have, this is the best approach. So there's a lot of companies that are working on those things right now, still fairly in the infant stages, but just as anything with AI and machine learning, it's, it's growing rapidly, and it will eventually take over the business. You'll never you'll never lose that human touch because it's so important in healthcare. But but AI and machine learning ML is certainly um, invading segments of our market. Yeah, I, like prompting is when you 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 give instructions. Like, I mean, God only knows you and I at Eastside Catholic. If we had this for our religious papers, you know, write us a three hundred page double spaced on blah 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 blah. I mean, I I, I just I. I'm very curious on how that's going to flow in high schools and colleges. But as far as like the robotic nature of operation, I almost like prompting. I almost wonder if it's going to be someday a guy like you or a gal like you who's intimate with the product is going to be prompting the device to do or the or the doctor is going to be prompting like where it's like not, a you know, there's a human touch, but you actually have like a robot operating and not a human person. So there's robots in our business today. Yeah, wow. absolutely. So spine robots, and um, I'm working with a company now called H Robotics that has a rehabilitation robot, which is um, does the work of some physical therapists. And there's some uncomfort, right, going from the high this high touch business of physical therapy into now using uh, rehabilitation robots. And uh, this is the first one of its kind. It's been really interesting to go down this path with the company. Yeah, it is. Um, so as we wind this, I mean, it is, I, I can only imagine, I don't know, because I'm not in your business. But as we wind down, I, I like to ask a couple questions that are like, I want to be consistent on some of them. I tend to know what the responses are going to be. But I ask them nonetheless, is there I mean, if you could go back, so Steve was a really um, great athlete played baseball, George Fox had an older brother that played in the big leagues. And, you know, I was wondering if Steve might go, you know, down that road. But when he came out of George Fox, you know, he got into different sales jobs, but knowing what you know, now, mm-hmm. you know, you're my age, we've got some years behind us, would you do anything different? And I know that you can't take away, sure. you know, selling copiers led to this led to that, whatever. But if you could go back coming out of George Fox, would you do anything different? No, I don't think I would. Um, not not as far as my career choice or how I approached it. Like I mentioned before, I think it, I was really uh, lucky to have gotten that advice from my father to go and, and sell something that was really hard. And so I could learn and realize it's what I wanted to do. And then the path that I took through paycheck, I think they were excellent proving grounds for me. 
Um, I, I traveled a lot when my kids were young and, and I would say that if there's anything I could do differently, cause there was always something I would have stopped the extensive traveling a little bit earlier or managed it a little bit better so that I could have been more supportive husband and father. Um, you know, no regrets, of course, but but those years, early years when my kids were young, you know, you never get those back. And uh, and I wish I would have maybe had a little bit more time spent with them and a little bit less on the road. So that would be the one thing I would do a little bit differently in my career. Yeah, yeah I mean, I've watched some of these podcasts I've done and I would have, my life would have been changed. Like there was one in particular, I would have done it completely different. And I'm not playing the victim like, oh, I feel so sorry for myself. But it's just interesting to kind of get in your head and, and wonder if you would change it. The other question I have is let's just take medical sales, medical device sales. Let's just God comes down and says, Steve, you can't do it. You got to like, is there a dream job? Like, oh, yeah. OK, like before you answer but like it, it can be fantasy land, candy land. I mean, it can be way out there where you like it's not achievable. But like if you could meditate and manifest the best like happy place what what would that be so i, I mean I, I know exactly what that would be it, it would be i would i would go teach i would go teach at a school at a high school uh, and coach baseball so um yeah that, that's a pretty easy one for me that's that is what i would do and hopefully what i will do when uh, when my career you know my business career is over is i'll go i'll go teach i like to go teach sales business and sales at a high school and uh, coach their baseball team. That'd be, uh, that'd be for me a dream. What's cool is you got a dream. That's like a layup. It's super achievable, right? Well, sure. Yeah. I mean, I don't, yeah, I, I think there probably would be a dream. Like I want to be, you know, president or I want to be a unicorn, right. Where you're never going to be able to do that or wouldn't want to do that. But no, I, I think it's very achievable and uh, hopefully someday we'll get there. Well, I, you know, I, I thought you were going to say professional golfer. My game is, you've seen my game, Dirk. It's not professional golfer level. And maybe that's where the dreaming comes in. Like, but, but they, that's a grind too. Like you talk to those guys. Yeah. That's a, that's a grind job too. No, I, I mean, I'd want to work with, work with kids, work with high school kids and, and, uh, you know, try to shape them and shape their lives and teach them how to be winners and not be victims, you know, in this world. And it's, it's such a tough world for them. You know, now you've got kids that are teenagers. I've got kids that are teenagers. It's such a, such a tough world for them right now. And they're dealing with things that we never had to deal with. And so um, not that I, you know, maybe I could do a little bit for them. And I'd love to be able to do that for kids. Yeah, you'd be amazing. I, I, I mean, you've taught your whole life and you've coached your whole life. And but I could see you completely in that setting. So before I well. before I end this, thank you. I uh, is there anything I haven't asked? Like, um you know, anything on the tip of your tongue? Cause at the end of the day, yeah. people are watching this to try to get clear on their life work. And maybe there's a piece of advice that you still want to throw out there. So thanks for asking. I, I think that um, people have a negative view of selling. When they think of selling, they think of, what do you think of right away? Selling. Phony, full of crap. Used car salesman, right? Phony, full of crap, trying to screw someone in order to, to make a buck. Um, and when I, and there's a really good book called a lot of really good books that I've read, and I'll try not to plug them all, but one of them is Integrity Selling. And and it really looks at the view you have of sales. In the in the it really changed the way that I approached my sales since the thinking of, you know, what can I get or or you know, how much can I make is more of 
that that people need a good salesperson to ask the right questions and understand their needs and their goals and what they're trying to get to and what's going to help them be successful. And a good salesperson really does that. Um, a bad salesperson doesn't do that. And so my view of sales is completely changed in the sense that if there's not a need for my product, I don't want to be doing it. I don't want to be in it. I don't care how much money you can make or how much prestige that, that, position might bring. And so I think I've got that that healthy view of selling should be something everybody has is that my job is to sell, not tell. And this is the, I guess my last comment is, you know, people think of the salesperson as what the person that's always talking and the person that's, you know, presenting and features and benefits and talking, talking, talk. And, and really the best salesperson is the one that's asking questions not just any questions, but the right questions to uncover the needs of the customer and to really dig deep into those needs and what they're trying to accomplish and what's going to help them reach their goals. And when you're able to plug your solution or a solution into those needs and help your customers accomplish their goals, yes, it's financially viable. There's some long-term benefit to it, but the feeling that you get is really a high level of satisfaction for, and you get paid for doing that, right? For uncovering those needs and and being able to plug your solution into where that that customer really values the relationship and thinks of you as a consultant versus a salesperson. So I am going to stick on this one more just because I, I find this part of sales fascinating. And I'll be honest, it's the part that I've always struggled with personally is, and I, I'm trying to think how to explain this, but like I have a coach and he's really big on scripting. And I, I'm one of those guys where like, I want it to be authentic. I don't, the idea of going into a sales meeting with like an agenda, like and the agenda is like for me in the world of lending, there's a lot of times where I'm listening and asking questions and uh, the result is I don't think you should do anything. Um, but I know that if you did that in your world, um, you wouldn't be successful. Like, I mean, it would be, you have an intention. Your goal is to win the deal. And I guess what I'm asking is what's the line between really listening and doing what's right for the client. And also you got a job to do, you got a quota, you got to hit the numbers and when does it become authentic and when does it become scripted? Different for everybody. Um, you know, when you mentioned scripted, I talk, talked about the pre-call plan, right. As, as a way to go into every sales call, being prepared with the right questions to ask and the right information, the right tools. That's your responsibility. I feel like to your customer or your potential customer is to be in the best position to present your product, whether they purchase or not, that's really going to be up to them, whether it's the right thing for them or their business or their, or the, whatever they're trying to do and whatever they're trying to accomplish. So what I have done in my, every time I've been in a situation where I, the product that I have consistently, or at least at times, isn't the right product for the people that I'm trying to sell to, I've left that opportunity. I've left that company. And, and I only look for opportunities where I know for sure what I'm selling has a really good chance of being the thing that's going to make my customer's job easier or um, allow them to be set more satisfied or you know, help them be more productive, whatever their goals are. And so it's and a lot of people will, will chase the money and they'll, you know, they'll look for the product that they think is going to make them the most money, but if they don't believe in it and they don't have the satisfaction behind it, um, it's very short term and they'll, they'll be miserable. Yeah, no, I mean, that's awesome. That's amazing advice. And then I guess one last question is 
you know, we're so geared. We spend so much time in our careers, you know, just doing our job. And I know like you're one of the most real guys I know, like when we're together, we're having great conversations. They're not BS type, but is it ever hard? Maybe not maybe for you, but people to take the sales hat off, like when they get home with their wife or their family and they, they want something to happen and they're so damn good at persuading people uh, or getting what they want, yeah. like taking the sales hat off, it's gotta be tough. It is. It is hard to do. It can, you know, in a way, you're always selling. You mentioned that in the very beginning of the podcast, they were always selling. People are always selling. Some people aren't very good at it, but they're always trying to convince someone to do something that they want them to do. I can tell you that I've made a lot of mistakes as father and as a husband, uh, not turning that off uh, when I come home. And the best thing you can hope for is that you've got a support system at home that understands that part of you and can give you feedback. It's like, hey, dad, am I your son or am I your customer, right? Uh, am I your wife or am I your rep? And and that just, you know, will jolt you back into shape, but absolutely it's tough. And it's something that you have to be cognizant of when you're in this high pressure, you know, uh, you know, controlling environment that, you know, when you walk through the door, you, you have a different role. So it is tough. And it's something that I've struggled with for sure. Yeah. Well, Steve-O, thank you, man. This is good. This is exactly what I thought I'd get out of you. Um, I, I learned a lot. I mean, we've been friends for most of our life and this stuff, some stuff I never knew about, but I appreciate it. Um, you're a master at your trade and I just want to say thank you. Well, thank you for having me on. First of all, uh, and all the kind words, um, I could put all those back to you, uh, for, for the success that you've had. Go ahead. Keep it going. <laughs> I, I love what you're doing with this podcast. I'm happy to be a part of it. Uh, I know you're going to be very successful with it and uh, you're serving a niche out there that I think needs to be served. And so um, hopefully I've helped and um, you know, again, just, just happy to be a part of what you're trying to do. I think it's great. Awesome. You you have helped. Thank you, buddy. You bet. All right. I'm going to end this. Have a good day. Thanks Turkey.